your Bibles to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We have been in this series for the whole year. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. We are in Genesis 29 today. Genesis 29. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row in front of you. That will be on page 23 and 24. And so we, last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we saw that Jacob was forced to leave town because of his lying and his deception. He had stolen the birthright from his older brother Esau, and he had lied to his father Isaac and deceived him in receiving the blessing that should have been Esau's. And so everybody's mad. Esau is wanting to kill Jacob, and so Jacob flees for his life. And then two weeks ago, we saw that Jacob was uh, leaving town. He was all alone. He was abandoned. He was at the bottom of the pit, and that is exactly when God shows up, which is the truth. I mean, that's just how God uh, works. When we are at the lowest point of our life, we feel like, you know, we can't go anywhere else. God shows up, and Jacob has this amazing dream where this ladder extends from earth to heaven, and the whole passage is about, the whole dream is about how God is coming to us. He is coming down to Jacob. And that really is the single storyline of the whole Bible about how God pursues us. We don't pursue God. Uh, Jacob was not sitting there contemplating his sin and thinking about what he's done and like being repent, repentive. But, but he, was, he was there and God meets him there. God comes to him and that's how the Bible is, man. The Bible is about God pursuing after us. We are sinful people, and God pursues us for a relationship. And so Jacob has this dream, this vision, and God says, I will be with you, which is amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, um, of how God comes to earth uh, in Jesus, and Jesus lives the life we couldn't and dies a death we should have died. But, but he says, I'm going to be with you. And so we end chapter 28 and we're going to pick up chapter 29, and Jacob is a new man, right? He has changed. He has got an extra pep in his step, and so we're going to pick that up right here in Genesis 29. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen, Genesis 29. We are going to read the whole chapter. Are you guys excited about that? Yeah. We've got to. We've just got to do it today, okay? Uh, there's no way around it, but that's good. I like reading the Word. You guys like reading the Word? You're going to get it today. All right, so let's do it. Genesis 29, Jacob has just had this encounter. He's got some extra pep in his step. He's feeling good about life. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. 
While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, then ceased bearing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to read your word together as a church family. We pray that as we continue to worship you, uh, Father, that your spirit will continue to move in this place. God, I pray that you will just open our hearts and our, our eyes to see, Father, just the beauty of your son Jesus as we exalt him in this place. Father, may, may we see, regardless of where we're at in our life, whether we feel like we are just knocking things out of the park or we are at the bottom of the pit, Father, or, or anywhere in between, may we, may we see our need for Jesus. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what I want to do this morning, because we just read a lot of narrative, uh, is focus on two people from this text. I want to focus on Jacob and Leah, because I think we can learn a lot from them in this chapter. And what I want us to see is what they experienced and what God did for them through their experience and what we can learn from that. Okay, so you guys good? You guys still with me? All right, so what did Jacob experience? Well, we see from the text that Jacob met a girl. And right from the beginning, we see that this girl does something to Jacob, right? I mean, he does something to him because um, in the beginning here, verse 10, he came near and he, he rolled this stone away. Now, you saw earlier in the text that this stone, these shepherds were there, and they were like, we've got to wait for everybody to get here before we can roll this massive stone away. But when Jacob sees Rachel, he gets this shot of adrenaline. He's got this muscle shirt on. He says, uh-uh. He goes over there. He's like flexing, you know, picks up that stone. Look at, uh, you know. You get what I'm saying, right? This is what, this is what Jacob does. Like, I mean, something, he sees Rachel, and it, it does something to him. Now, the writer, the author, is throwing in some little hints for us. He's throwing in some, some clues. Uh, he does a good job of this. Moses is the author. Verse 16, he tells us that, that Laban had two daughters. That's important to know. Leah was the older and Rachel was the younger. That's also important to know. Verse 17 is also important because he tells us that Leah's eyes were weak. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So, so she wasn't just beautiful, but she was beautiful in form and appearance. She was she was all that and a bag of chips. She was, she had just won Miss, Miss Haran beauty pageant. I mean, she was, she was a knockout. She was a stunner. And, and, and so Jacob meets Rachel, and he is head over heels for her. And, and it reminded me of the first time that I met my wife. Um, we, now I'm still, hold on a second, okay? Uh, so... I was serving as the youth minister at my home church. I had been there for a couple of years, a few years, actually four years at this point. And our associate pastor, his wife, worked with Robin. I'm pointing over here because my wife is over here, by the way. Uh, and so she invites Robin to church, and I was the youth minister, and so I only preached like two times a year. I didn't preach much at all. And the Sunday that Robin shows up is the Sunday that I happen to be preaching. And so the associate pastor sees me from the back of the church. He says, hey, Aaron, come up here. I want you to meet uh, my wife's coworker." And so I go up there, and he says, this is Robin. And when I saw her, man, the first thing that just, her, her, she's got beautiful blue eyes. My wife has got the, she, she does. And then it was just the, the eyes just popped out, the, beautiful, the beauty of the blue eyes with the dark hair. And I was like, wowzers, right? I was like, wow, this is Wow. And, and then I thought to myself, I've got to preach. And she sat over here on this side of the church. And I remember thinking to myself, as I'm preaching, do not look too long in this direction. Right? I, I had to say that to myself. But listen, this is what Jacob, Jacob is going through. He is head over heels for Rachel. We know this. Listen, we know this because of what he is willing to pay Laban for her. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, you always paid a dowry price for a bride. And usually it was 30 to 40 shekels. 
Now, one month's wage was one to one and a half shekels is what you received. Jacob says, I will work for you seven years. Do the math. My boy Jacob is so in love, he's willing to pay over triple for Rachel's hand in marriage. That's, in, that's insane. But, but notice verse 20. It, then it says that, that he worked those seven years and he's so in love that they seemed but just a few days, right? I mean, how awesome is that? And then in verse 21, we see it's time to consummate this marriage. And, you know, the, the Hebrew text is, it's, um, this is not a PG rated verse. I'll just leave it at that, okay? But, uh, but what you need to understand, though, is you, you look at this and you think to yourself, how, how could this have happened? Like, we read this and we think, this is insane. Like, this is stuff you see in soap operas, right? This is stuff that, like, how does this even happen in real life? But you need to understand, again, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the way they partied for a wedding feast. It would have been a week-long party. Um, it, it, the wine, listen, the wine would have been flowing, and we ain't talking about no boxed wine from K. Rogers here, okay? This is, this is, this is good, good wine, right? Uh, so, and I can imagine Laban, listen, I can imagine Laban saying, oh, oh, here's another drink, Jacob. Go ahead, drink up, my friend. Drink up, my, my future son-in-law. Drink up, right? And so you, you have this, the, the bride would have been veiled, right? She would have had a, a veil over her, her face. And you've got to remember, man, this is ancient Near Eastern. They didn't have electricity, it's not like Jacob could f- go into the room, flip on the switch, and say, wait a minute, you're not, you're not Rachel, right? You see what I'm saying? So you, you take all that into consideration. He's had a lot to drink. She's veiled. No electricity. Pitch dark. He's thinking he's going to bed with Rachel. So you can imagine his surprise when he wakes up to Leah. To say that he is mad is an understatement. Verse 25 is a key verse. It says, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Now, here's the key phrase. See if you pick up on this. He says, why then did you deceive me? And there it is, right? That's the irony of this whole story. The great deceiver, Jacob, Right? Jacob is the great deceiver, right? I mean, isn't that what Esau says? Your name is rightly called Jacob because you are the deceiver. He deceived Esau, his brother, out of the blessing. And here he's saying, you have, it's the same word. It's the same word that Jacob uses, that, that, that Isaac, his father, uses in chapter 27, verse 35. He says, you have deceived me. And then I want you to look at Laban's response because, again, this is, this is great. Verse 26, he says, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Right? What was the whole chapter 27 about? It was about the blessing of the firstborn. When Jacob walks into his father, what does he tell his father Isaac? He says, I am your son Esau, your firstborn. This is, this is, this is great, man. I mean, not really it's great, but it's just, you see how, like, this is what Jacob experienced here. 
And so what do you think the Lord did through this experience, and, and what do we learn from this? Well, you've you got to think to yourself that whenever Jacob said these words, whenever he said, how could you have deceived me, that as soon as those words rolled off his tongue, he thought to himself, oh, oh, oh. Right? You see what I'm saying? He's like, oh, I know how it feels. I know how my brother, I know how, I know how my brother and Isaac feel. You got to think that that's kind of what's going through his mind. And listen, it's a hard, it's a hard lesson, and it's not always a popular lesson. But but the Lord is using this situation to humble Jacob and to draw Jacob closer to Himself. Listen, what we see here in this story is the Lord's discipline of Jacob. And the Bible tells us, man, that, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Jacob is learning a hard lesson. He has stolen the blessing, blessing from, from, uh, from Esau. He was forcing God's hand. He was doing things his way. And God is showing him, revealing to him his sin. God is showing, I have a greater plan. And, and there's this idea that's very popular out in, in our culture today. And, then, and it's, if you become a Christian, if you become a follower of Jesus, then your life is going to be carefree. Right? You're going to have any problems. And that could not be further from the truth. I mean, Jesus Christ himself died on a cross. And Jesus is calling us to follow him. Right? There is going to be struggles. But the Lord's discipline is a good thing in our lives. And that's, that's what I want you to see in this text today. Is that the Lord's discipline is a good thing. Right? I have three boys, three young boys. And the most loving thing that I can do for them is I can discipline them. And in the way that me and my wife try to do this is we try to model the gospel in our home as much as we possibly can. And so we don't, we don't tell them, hey, go to your room and stay. We don't, we don't do that, and that's fine, whatever. But we, we don't do that because that, that isolates them. We want to more draw closer to them. And so we have these conversations, and we say, okay, why did you do what you did and then I usually get to the point where I say, I'll tell you why you did what you did. It's because you got a dirty heart, right? You're a sinner, and you need Jesus. But I tell them that mommy and daddy are sinners too, and we need Jesus. And so we try to model that gospel because the point of all of it is to, to not, like, make them feel shameful, but to hopefully help them see that they need Jesus. And that's what the Lord is doing here in this discipline. He's, he's helping Jacob to see his sin and so that it will draw him closer to Jesus. And listen, our, our discipline as parents is not perfect, right? We, we, we fall short every single day. We mess up. We do things that just aren't, we mess our kids up, right? And, but, but listen, the Lord is good in all that he does. The Lord is perfect in all that he does. And we can trust him. The Bible tells us that God is a father who disciplines his children for our good. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to, it's going to be on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 to 11. He says, the writer says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Right? So here's the thing, man. If you're going through a circumstance in life and you are like, you know, 
One, you, you know that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The, the writer of Hebrews is bending over backwards to show us through this text in Hebrews that, that God disciplines the ones he loves. Because when you're going through those circumstances, it doesn't always feel like God loves us, does it, Dexter? But see, this is what he's saying. He's saying you can trust God's discipline is good. He goes on to say, he says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that, here's the purpose, you ready? This is why we are go through the things we go through. This is why Jacob is going through what he's going through. So that we may share in his holiness and his righteousness. See, it seems painful at the time, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. This is why you go through the things you go through, right? Listen, I'm not saying that every time you go through a painful experience that it's the Lord disciplining you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm also not saying that it might not be the Lord's discipline. You say, that, that's for you. That, how do we figure that out, right? We, we pray about it, right? We say, God, are you trying to show me something here? Do I, is there sin in my life that you want to reveal to me? See, that, that, that's what we do. That's what we do. And so the purpose of all that is so that we might become more like Jesus. Right? That's what the Lord is doing. He's knocking out the props from underneath Jacob. He's saying, you, you want to try to do things in your own strength? You want to try to force the blessing and get it through your own deception? I'm going to knock these props right out from on you because that's what the Lord's doing. He's saying, Jacob, I want you to rely on me because my plan is greater. See what I'm saying? Does that make sense? All right. And, and here's the thing. This, I want to point this out. Because, I, again, chapter 28, God has just come to Jacob and said, I will be with you. Like, the Lord is with Jacob. Chapter 29, the Lord could have stepped in and intervened at any point in time, right? He's with Jacob, but he doesn't. He doesn't, right? So, so he's still with Jacob, and that's, that's what he's doing. He's revealing the sin in his life to draw him closer to him, right? And so we pray and we ask God um, for discernment as we receive his discipline because he, he loves us. He has compassion towards us. So that's Jacob. That's what Jacob learns through this. This is what we learn through this. Uh, that's Jacob. And now let's move to Leah. Her experience is a lot shorter, I promise. Let's go on to her experience and what God did for her. So Leah is Laban's oldest daughter. And unfortunately, she is the girl that nobody wants. The writer tells us that she, is, uh, she has weak eyes, right? And so I don't think that, that means that she, she can't see long distance. Um, I think it means that she's just unattractive. She's just not an attractive lady. And so you have to imagine for a second being in Leah's shoes because her whole life, she has grown up in the shadow of Rachel. Her whole life, man, they've been out in public, and all she hears is, man, look how beautiful Rachel is. Right? That is all she's heard her whole life. And Laban, here's the thing, man, Laban knew that no one was going to offer money. No one was going to offer money for, for Leah. 
right? And, and, and this may sound crude, uh, but, but I think Laban saw an opportunity to unload. Uh, now, and I don't mean it to be crude. I'm not saying, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that. I, I think you see, listen. Okay, I can tell you right now, first service is way more spiritual. <laughs> way more spiritual. Uh, listen, I, you can read through the text. You can read through the text, and you can see, I, I think you can see from, La- Laban has been plotting this, man. La- Laban is thinking through this, and, um, and listen, Laban scores here because he gets, ultimately he gets 20 years of service for his two daughters. I mean, how, how, insane, how insane is that? But, but here, here's the thing, man. You could tell, you could tell, man, she, she's the girl that nobody wants. And you could tell that by the naming of the first three children, three, first three sons, that she has really set her heart on Jacob, right? She is longing. She's longing for his love because, again, she's grown up in the shadow of Rachel her whole life. And you see this in the naming of the three sons. Her firstborn son, Reuben, means to see, and, and she thought, now my husband will see me. Maybe I won't be invisible to him anymore. Her second son is named Simeon, which has to do with hearing, and so she thinks, maybe my husband will finally listen to me, but he doesn't. Her third son is Levi, which means to be attached, and so she's thinking, maybe my husband will be attached to me. His heart will be attached to me. I have given him three sons. And here's what Leah is trying to do. Leah is trying to find her worth and her value and her identity through her relationship and her kids. She's got a husband and she thinks, now I have finally found someone to love me. Right? She, she, but it doesn't happen, right? Because it? it's, it's the first 30 is a sad verse. It says that Jacob loved Loved Rachel more than Leah. So she, she, gives Jacob, she gives Jacob three sons, and she thinks to herself, wow, you know, now, now, now he'll love me, but, it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. And here's the question for us that we, we need to ask, that we need to answer. Because we are all like Leah. We are all like Leah. We are all looking for our worth and our value and our identity from someone or something else. What is the one thing in your life that you say to yourself, I've got to have that. If I could have that, then I would be worth something. If I could have that, then I would be content. I would be happy. Listen, there are all sorts of things in this world that will offer that kind of satisfaction, but they never they never cash in on their promise. They always leave you feeling empty and wanting more. Wanting more. You know it. Listen, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but everything is going to be disappointing. It's, it's like Jacob, right? You go to bed thinking you're going to bed with Rachel when you wake up and it's Leah. That, that, that's what it's like. I mean, you, you think to yourself, man, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that promotion, you get it, and after, after a period of time, you, 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 you're not happy with it. You want more. Right? I mean, how many times? This is summertime, right? We go on vacation. We look forward all year for vacation. We can't wait to go. We think, man, it's going to be awesome. And then you get there, and, and there's just some sense of disappointment. Is there not? Come on. Right? There's some, it's because this is not 
We weren't made. We weren't made to find our fulfillment or our, our, our happiness and things in this world. Like we weren't made for this world. That's what C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis said, if, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, which means eternity. We were made for heaven. We weren't made for this world. And so, what does God do in Leo? I love verse 31. Verse 31 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he loved her. When nobody else loved Leah, he did. Every time, listen, every time she had a son, she put all her hopes in her husband now loving her. But something changes with this fourth son, right? Something changes with this one. She names him Judah, and this time, there's no mention of a husband. There's no mention of a child. But this time, she says what? I will praise the Lord. You see, she began to understand what to do with this strong desire for one true love. She, she, she began to uh, turn her heart towards the only one who can give her what she's looking for. And I've got to ask, man, do we realize this? Do we understand this? Because if not, man, we're going to continue searching for something to fill that void in us. We're going to be going after the next big thing. We're going to be looking for someone or something to give us what, what they can't and what it can't. And here's the best part of all this is that Judah... Anybody know who comes from the line of Judah? And who else? Jesus. Right? Jesus is from the line of, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the messianic line right here. Right? This is the line that Jesus is going to come through to save the world. God, I love this, God has come to a girl that nobody wants. He's come to the, to the un the unwanted, the unloved, those who are cast to the margins of society, and he has made this girl the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Not beautiful Rachel. Not beautiful Rachel, but underdog, unwanted Leah. Why? Why does God do this? Because that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not about what you can do. It's not about you trying to bring anything to the table for God. It's not about you coming in your power and in your strength and in your beauty. It's not about you saying, look at me, God. Don't you want me on your team? It's not about you coming with your morality and your whatever it is you think you have, right? Because we don't have anything. It's about coming to him in weakness and understanding that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. That's the gospel. Listen, Jesus came to earth as a man nobody wanted. He was born to poor parents in an obscure town. He had, he had no beauty that anyone should desire him. Royal read that just a few weeks ago from Isaiah. No beauty that anyone should desire him. He came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. While Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins. He's on the cross, and what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you? Jesus became weak. Jesus 
came from heaven to earth. He left heaven and came to earth to walk among us, among sinners, among people who have rebelled against him so that he could die in our place for our sins. He became weak. And, and until we see that, until we admit that we are sinners, until we humble ourselves and admit that we are lost and that we need Jesus, we will not experience salvation. Until we admit that, until you recognize that you cannot do this on your own, until you see that you need Jesus, that his plan is greater. See, this is the upside down of the gospel. This is what's so beautiful about it. The, the way up is down, right? Do you realize this? I love, uh, that's why I love, I love stories like this. I love narratives like this. You, you, listen, you read through this stuff and you think to yourself, well, who's the hero of the story? Where's the hero at? Well, the hero is not Jacob, it's not Abraham, it's not any of these characters, right? The, the real hero of the story is Jesus. And I love, I love stories like this because, listen, the Bible is so real, it's so raw, it doesn't try to hide anything. It's like right there. And we look at this and we think to ourselves, how in the world, man? How does God use this mess? How can God use this? And that's, that's the beauty of, of what God does. God takes our brokenness. God takes the things that we are, feel like are worthless, and God can take those things and redeem them for His glory and our good. Amen? Do you believe that? Man, I hope you do. I pray that you do. Because God wants to do that in your life. We often, we often think to ourselves, we, we think we've got to clean ourselves up. Or, or we think, man, I've got to, there's, this, there's this specific path that I've got to follow. And if I veer off of it, if I mess up, if I do something, then I've just ruined everything and God can't use me. Listen to me, God is sovereign. God is bigger than, there is no plan B, right? It was always going to be Jesus, in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's not like it caught God off surprise, right? It's not like it's like, oh, man, we've got to scrap this. It was always going to be Jesus. Do you understand that? Same way with your life. He's not done anything where God, God can't use you still. He can redeem whatever situation you're in. Listen, I, I love this. I, 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 we could spend weeks on this chapter, but, but we look at this and we think, we think man, this is, this is a train wreck. Like as you read through the next couple chapters, it is an absolute disaster. Jacob ends up having kids from Rachel, Leah, their maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah. I mean, Jacob's thinking to himself, what have I done, right? What have I done? And you think, how in the world can God use this mess? And yet, God, through this mess, is fulfilling his promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation because from those four women will come 12 dudes who will make the 12 tribes of Israel that will make the people of God. Right? I mean, how amazing is that? God is good. God's plan is always greater. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for our time in your word. I pray, Father, that, man, we would just continue to examine our own hearts, God. Your spirit will continue to work and move. And, Father, things that we've said and talked about that, that you would just reveal to us. Maybe there's, there's things in our life, God, that, that you want to show us that we need to repent of. Humble ourselves, God, and just confess that to you. Father, I pray, um, man, that we would just see our need for Jesus. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to close out our service today. I want to read uh, a scripture for you. It's, it's um, one of my favorite authors growing up. I've read just about everything he's written. Is Brendan Manning. He's since passed away um, the last few years ago. But I, I don't know if anybody understood the grace and compassion of, of God more than this guy named Brendan Manning. Very first book I read of his was called Ragamuffin Gospel. And in there, uh, he talks about people who, uh, it, the gospel is not for the spiritual elite. Right? It's, it's not for people who think they have it together. It's not for those who think that they're, they can get you know, to Jesus through their own morality or whatever. But it's for people who are beat down. It's for people who um, are just outcasts, who feel like they're, they're not worthy. And it's just for people who are just like that, you know. And I love this, this place in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is there and he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about what you do. It's not about you trying to earn anything. Right? Regardless of where you're at, Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Amen. Listen, our prayer team is available for you today. They will be in the back. They'll be in the front. They'd love to pray with you. I'm up here. If you want to learn more about what it means to surrender to Jesus, we can take your confession of faith. We can baptize you today. We've got clothes to change you into. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I'm a child of God, don't leave here today without knowing that for sure. Thank you guys for being here, man. Y'all have a great week.